Welcome to episode 10 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. My name is Doug. And I'm Pete. And how did we get to episode 10 already? I know, it's been a whirlwind uh, 10 weeks, I guess. Uh, how's your week been looking? It's been good. I won in fantasy football this week. I guess you did as well. So that's that's good for us. We're both looking at playoff spots. So that was good. Eventful weekend of sports, really. I mean, man, this time of year, it just... Even today at work, had the Arsenal game going. They had the World Series coming up tomorrow, man. It's uh, it's good. Yeah, the World Series is set, too. Uh, the uh, the Astros against the Nationals. Uh, I'm definitely cheering for the Nationals. The Expos. The Expos, yeah. The Washington <laughs> Expos. Yeah, and you know what, as well as realizes, this is our 10th episode, as mentioned. And we have as many Canucks games to talk about in this last week for this episode as we did for the previous nine episodes combined. Wow. Actual hockey game. Actual hockey, not preseason. Over our first nine episodes, we had four games to talk about. This one, we have four games to talk about. So in the office, uh, we always like to joke because uh, Pete always likes to have fun with numbers. And as you can tell, he's definitely a numbers guy. He's done a couple of annual reports that he's titled Fun with Numbers. Oh, yeah, it's true. I like like the numbers, uh, and you'll probably hear me get into some of the numbers again on, on this episode. Um, before we get into the big club, though, I just wanted to also touch about the little club, the Comets. They're making quite the stir today. Uh, they're 5-0, and for people who don't know. They're, they're undefeated. They lead the league in goals, I believe, as well. Uh, here's some more numbers coming out at you. And our boy, Nikolai Goldobin, Player of the Week. That's pretty intriguing. And not only that, but if you kind of also dig a little more into their roster, they're just killing it up front. And Boucher and Goldobin are tied, or sorry, they're in the top three in league scoring and they also got Berchi, Lind, McEwen, and Bailey all averaging over a point a game. And then for some of the guys as well, a little further down, I know Francis Perron as well, three points in three games. Uh, Yulevi's looked good. Uh, what have you seen so far with the Comets, Doug? I mean, there's a lot to get excited about with the way they've been playing so far. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like you uh, touched on it, the Comets uh, have the most goals in the AHL so far with 29. Um, and then the second closest team uh, goal-wise is the Hershey Bears with 25. Um, yeah, there's three undefeated teams. One of them does have an overtime loss with the Hartford Wolfpack. So uh, the Comets have only played five games. They're 5-0. and uh, The Toronto Marlies have played six games. They're 6-0. and well, The Comets are looking great. Uh, I mean, as a Canucks fan, it's hard to not be a little bit, not I shouldn't say a little bit, should, to be very optimistic about some of uh, the young players down there and how they're producing. Goldobin, like you said, was named Player of the Week. Uh, Cole Lind is averaging over a point a game. Uh, there was an amazing highlight of Ole Levy. I believe it was a pass up to um, Reed Boucher uh, where it looked like he was going to dump it in, and then he, it was like a almost a slap pass from his own blue line to Reed Boucher as he was coming in the offensive blue line. Uh, yeah, I've really liked what I've seen so far from them. Um, obviously, it's hard to kind of watch full games but from the highlights and all the great people out on Canucks Twitter that are able to kind of clip some of the highlights for the fans out there uh yeah there's a lot to be excited about the comments right now I think Cole Lind is one I've really been impressed with this is a guy who I thought would take a a step forward just with his development this year he's got points in four of the five games he's played in this year uh Gadjevich his drafty buddy is being a little bit slow he's just got the one point and only played in three games I'm not exactly sure what that's about uh, I know there's a lot of weird roster juggling that you have to do with the Comets, as we've alluded to before, but it's a nice mix of vets and kids. Uh, I think, you know, as much as we didn't necessarily want Berchi going down, I think Goldobin we all knew would. I think having those guys down there has really kind of insulated 
some of these younger guys and uh, really help them out. Uh, you know, good to see you, Lucas Yasek having a good start as well. Uh, but Cole Lind and the way Ole Olevi has played as well, the the clips that I've seen of Olevi, he's looked really strong out there, and it's that's really nice to see. Yeah, uh, another guy who was the darling of training cap, uh, Brogan Rafferty, he's looked really good out there as well. Uh, he's got three points in, uh, I believe, five games as well with one goal and two assists. Um, I guess my other question, if we're going to stick on the topic with the comments here, is when do you think a guy like Godet gets sent down? Yeah, that's something uh, I think we'll we'll touch on that a little bit, but they got to make a decision right now what you do with, with Hockey God right now because he's... Uh, it's not doing anyone any good for him to not be playing with the team. I think they wanted to bring him on the road trip, and then I think they're going to make a decision. I wouldn't be surprised if after uh, the game against Detroit... Oh, and side note, we are recording this again for the second week in a row before the game against Detroit. We figure we got four games, and again, we can't really record and do a game at the same time. We're just not that swift of animals. Uh, but I think after this road trip, I think they probably wanted to bring him with them just to kind of see more what it's like with the big club, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he's not in the plans come back when they come back home. I think he's got to go down to Utica. Yeah, I mean, they have to, I, you know, they have to make a decision with him. And to me, like you said, it's not doing anyone, it's not doing him or his development any favors by sitting in the press box. Uh, the other guy, obviously, you wonder what's going to happen if he's just going to keep sitting in the press box is Louis. Is he eventually going to get sent down? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's it's surprising to me in some senses that Louis has sat seven games in a row now, I believe it is. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Uh, I, I mean, not a, not a lot of people in the Canucks universe are complaining about it, but again, what's this doing? He's not playing anything. He's not driving up his market value. Uh, what is what is the plan with Louis here, and what is the plan with Gaudet? Well, and by sending him down to Utica, you do get cap relief. You get that million-dollar cap relief by sending him down. That's yeah, a little bit. It's a, it, it helps. But, Absolutely. yeah, you're right. It certainly does. And whether he reports then, yeah, that's another thing. Is uh, Does he actually report to the comments? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. With And knock on wood, I don't want to jinx this, but we've also, on the blue line, we've started the same six defensemen for all eight games. That's a rarity for us to have the same blue line for eight games in a row. Um, and with the forward core right now, it's being kind of stabilized with, with Mott coming back into it as well. It seems like he's got a yep. bit of a job there. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Godet, though, uh, after the Detroit game, I, I would like to see him go to Utica, I think, unless they're going to use him. Yeah, I agree. The other thing you touched on about the uh, D-core kind of not having any injuries or anything like that, uh, there has been a lot of talk and a lot of scuttlebutt about uh, the Canucks looking to potentially move Troy Stetcher. Um, what do you think of that? I, I'm a, I'm hoping. I think it's internet rumors myself. I don't think there is truth to it. I would be surprised. I, the the argument I think that can be made for moving Stetcher is if you're not using him on your power play, which they aren't this year, and you're not using him on the penalty kill, which they they could still this year. Yeah. Uh, then maybe they're looking for someone who could do a bit more of that. Maybe work the penalty kill more, but. I really like Troy Stetcher. I really like his game. I like uh, what he brings to the team. He's a local boy. I think he has another level in his potential. I thought he made real good strides last year, and I'd like to see with a more solid blue line core this year what they could do. I think that he's obviously, in terms of trade bait with your current six, he's probably the most appealing. I mean, you're not trading Hughes, obviously. But I don't think there's any reason to do it. I I would personally not trade Troy Stetcher. I'd keep him. I think he's... uh, a very useful defenseman, and I think he's got another level he can go to. Yeah, I mean, you brought up the penalty kill, and the penalty kill's been... Excellent! (laughs) 
So I think, I don't know if there's an issue or I don't see a reason to want to mess with that. I mean, if the penalty kill has been as good as they've been playing, why would you want to kind of put Stetcher out there? Uh, it seems unnecessary. I know with the rumors at the draft about uh, the Canucks uh, maybe acquiring Tyson Berry, Stetcher was the name associated uh, with the Colorado Avalanche as the defenseman going back. So mm-hmm. to me, like it seems like they were already kind of potentially looking to move Stetcher. I like him too. I think he's a great you know, bottom-pairing defenseman, and he can easily jump up into your top four. Um, I would assume it could also be that they want to maybe get a look at Ulevi sooner than we were all anticipating, or Brogan Rafferty for that matter. And depending on what you could get for Stetcher, I mean, I don't think you're going to get a ton for him. But depending on what the return would be on a player like Stetcher, I would be open to it. I mean, I'm open to, you know, pretty much moving anyone, like you said, except for maybe a Quinn Hughes or Pedersen, um, depending on what the return is. Uh, I like the guy, though. I thought he's been a good soldier for us last year, you know, when our defense was absolutely abysmal. He definitely stepped up and proved, at least in my opinion, to the coaching staff that he can play big minutes and he can play anywhere between 20 to 25 minutes a game when he's called upon. But yeah, it, it is interesting. I know his ice time's down a little bit, but uh, I'm not too worried about it as far as people speculating, oh, well, this must mean that, you know, the Canucks are looking to move him. To me, you want to build a player's value up, so you'd want to play him more. And I think this is just something that we're we're overreacting a bit in the fan base. Uh, well, well, some people are. I, I think this is great to have Troy Stetcher as a number five or six defenseman. I mean, he's been forced into roles in previous years that he may not be ready for, and I think he did quite adequate with them, but... He's not necessarily a power play defenseman, but he can plug in there if needed. But realistically, Hughes and Edler and Myers are all ahead of him on the depth chart for yes. power play. And there's not really room for four defensemen on a team anymore in the power play. There's three defensemen. There's four defensemen that you use on a PK. And whether he's in that or not, I think there's room for him in there. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's maybe, again, with some of the other guys out there, like Edler, Tana, Ben, uh, they're probably ahead of him on the defensive depth chart. So, I mean, it's not that he's not going to get in there. And, again, wait to see what happens with injuries because we were saying all offseason they're going to happen. And just because we've been eight games in, 10% of the season without one yet, that doesn't mean that won't happen too. Uh, but I think the whole stretcher train, unless there is, I mean, hey, if a good deal comes up, you always got to look at that. But I don't think it's something that they're actively doing personally, especially this early in the season. I think there are ways that they're trying to figure out how to work with the cap. Maybe Stetcher is was involved with that and for some cap relief purposes but i i don't think uh i, I don't think he's on the market myself I, the other thing uh, i believe he's ufa at the end of the year so that could also be affecting what the canucks plans are for with him moving forward so i could see them maybe trying to trade him at the end of the year uh or before the end of the year pardon me and get a guy like Yulevi up who they have more control over uh he's rfa at the end of the year he is RFA, so you okay. still have another year but he is 25 so I believe it has to be his last year of RFA eligibility. Yeah. So there is that kind of window. But, you know, even if you sign him on another bridge deal, a one-year bridge deal, when that comes up, Edler's also coming up. So there are some ways you can look at it. Uh, but his his cap at 2.3, I mean, sure, that would give you some relief. But as a 25-year-old defenseman who I think mm-hmm. is getting better. And we, we've always said defensemen take a little while to, to get going and... Uh, I personally, for me, he's not a guy I'd be considering trading right now. I agree. Uh, just one final question on this topic. I don't want to obviously take too much time up on this. Who would you rather see in the lineup, him or Yulevi? That's a good question. Um, I mean, 
right now at this moment, Stetcher. But in February, Ulevi. I mean, I really want to see Ulevi play this year. Yeah, me Canucks. too. I really do. This is a year, if he stays healthy, he has to get some NHL games under his belt, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to be considered a successful story. He would have played, I think, in the NHL last year with all the injuries. It was really unfortunate with that blue line that we had with his injury as well. He would have gotten some time with the big club last year, and that would have maybe changed the face, even of what they did in the offseason. Maybe they wouldn't have gone out and gotten a Myers or a Ben as well, and I'm glad they did. I like uh, I like the way everyone's playing right now, but there is that element to it as well. When you have Tanev and Stetcher coming off the books at the end of the year, one's RFA, one's UFA, but what do you what do you do with Ulevi? Uh, He's probably going to slide into a spot. I think Tanev is probably the one who's going to go. Um, but right now, Stetcher, but long-term Ulevi. But I don't think it has to be an either-or with them. I think there's a way you can see all of them in the lineup. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. But, uh, yeah, I think the Canucks are looking forward and they're saying to themselves, who do we see as part of this team in the next three years? And I don't think, unfortunately, they see... Stetcher is that guy to be part of this team in the next uh, few years. Well, and you also got Tevez and Rafferty at great deals through 2021, and you've also got Jet Wu uh, a couple years away. I don't think Wu will be with the team next year, but he's another guy to watch long-term. So there is amazingly help in the blue line. I get it with Stetcher, but I don't think this is the year necessarily to do it, unless someone comes up with a good deal. But for the record, I really like Troy Stetcher. Uh, I thought he was, a lot of games last year, I thought he was our best player. Yeah, I agree. Should we uh, get into it? we got four games to talk about, uh, so I think let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. So with this abundance of games over the last week, I think the best way to kind of do this is go through game by game, kind of talk about what we liked, what we didn't, and just kind of give our takes. So we have, we have four games. That's, a, that's an overload for me. You're not going to make me talk about the Jersey game, are you? I don't remember this <laughs> game that you speak of. What's a, what's a Jersey game? Um, so let's go way back again to the team that we're playing again tomorrow uh, and focus on the Detroit game because that was uh, that was a good one. Uh, what do you remember? What are your initial thoughts of that? I'll, I'll lead it off by saying that uh, when Demko allowed that early goal 30 seconds in, I thought that was about the worst case scenario that could happen to him. I was just like, oh, geez, 30 seconds in, first shot. We let their best player come in one-on-one on him. Scores a goal, and I was like, oh, man, this is not what Demko needed. But, man, he uh, he sure redeemed everything there. And that wasn't even his fault, really, that goal. That was a terrible turnover. No, I agree. It wasn't the start you want to have, especially on the road, um, and especially for it being Demko's first game. But he didn't let that goal get to him. He was a professional. He rebounded well, and the team in front of him started to play better. And, obviously, we were rewarded. I, you know, they ended the first period tied 1-1, which was nice. And then uh, the second period, the team really took over. Uh, special teams especially seemed to kind of be uh, the Canucks' strong suit for this game. Well, that was the uh, the game as well where the top line really put on a show. I think uh, Pedersen had three points. I think Besser had three points that game too. Yeah, uh, Besser and Edler. had three assists and Pedersen had a goal and two assists. Yeah, so they, that was kind of, it was a nice one to see. It was just a great shifting of the tide there. Uh, my boy Troy Stetcher, who we talked about, got uh, the goal in the first as well. Um, and that was also the game where I thought that uh, we started to see uh, a bit more Jake Vertanen as well. And we'll talk about Vertanen a bit more, but uh, I think Vertanen had a strong game, and I think that was also Tyler Mott's first game back uh, as well. All the games are a little bit blurring together with me here, but 
if, if I remember that one, yeah, that was where uh, where Mott was uh, playing as well. That was his first game of the season. And I thought Vertanen had a, a stronger game. It was nice to see that from Jake as well. That's kind of since that game, I feel like Jake's taken a positive step and he's seen himself move up the lineup a bit too. Yeah, I mean, Jake had a, looked like he had about a minute of power play time. He got, his, he got a point as well. Uh, I'd still like to see Jake hit a little bit more and get a lot of, and this is a topic we'll talk about in the following games, but, you know, he's not the only one, but just to get more shots on net, to actually hit the net with your shots. Uh, Jake's one of those guys who, he does have a good shot, but he just, for whatever reason, like a lot of the Canucks for the past few games, can't hit the net consistently. Uh, But Detroit's not a great team. I think we all know Detroit's not a great team, but it was still a good game by the Canucks. I thought top to bottom, the penalty kill looked good again, which obviously is key. Uh, and the power play kind of came alive, which a lot of people were a little worried about. Yeah, and with uh, with Vertanen as well uh, with that, he hasn't been shooting it a lot. Right? I think he's only got six shots on the year so far. He's not even getting a shot a game. But he's at least he's more noticeable out there right now. And he has been playing fourth line. He's working his way up. Um, at least that's what it feels like to me. So anyways, I'm not like totally jumping back on the Vertanen hype train yet, but it's nice to see. He could have really gone off the rails with the way the season started for him too. And it was nice to kind of see him recover. And, and I thought against Detroit, he had a, he had a more solid game than uh, in his previous four games. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was Vertanen's best game up to that point of the season. Uh, I think I thought the Canucks as a whole just looked really good. Uh, outside of the first home opener against LA, this was probably the best game the Canucks had played up to that point. Yeah, it was. I agree, and it was, it was nice to see as well. Uh, Hughes started uh, emerging with more and more time on the ice as well in that game. Uh, he started playing a bit more. It just felt like there's a little more gel and a little more kind of bounce. Uh, you know, being on being on the homestand, that was their third game as well, and. Coming out and having such a solid effort like that, I mean, they really did take control after a shaky start, and that was that was something that I I really liked. You mentioned Detroit being not very good this year; a lot of people expecting them to be. Detroit is kind of where we were, I think, a couple of years ago. They have some really good young players. It does feel like Dylan Larkin has already been on the team for a while, but Anthony Mantha and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi they've been kind of jumping up, and they they've got this core that they're building around. May not have quite the same high end. But they got a lot of kids coming up too, and especially like Philip Zadina is one who's not even with the team. But they feel like where we were a couple years ago, and I, it was nice for us to go out there. Even though we allowed that early one, we looked kind of shaky. We really could have gone off the rails there. Demko was solid, and we got a, a very well-deserved win. Yeah, and it was also I think we should give a shout out to Biega. Uh, it was his first game of the season. He got the first game of the season against the Canucks as well. Uh, so yeah, you know, Biega, I know he had some ha- hugs and handshakes uh, prior to the game starting. Uh, so that was nice to see. I believe he actually might have even had an assist. No, he didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, Biega played for Detroit his first game of the year. Uh, so it was nice to see Biega land somewhere warm and, you know, have a role in the top six on an NHL franchise. Overall, I thought the Canucks looked good. Um, the Horvat line wasn't particularly great but you know i wouldn't say they were particularly bad i just think that the first unit power play really seemed to take that game over uh and it shows by all the power play points uh accumulated by besser pd and miller uh, two other guys that game i just wanted to kind of mention uh because I've, I've included them in my notes 
about this. One was uh, Tyler Myers. I thought he had a strong game that game. Um, he was very noticeable, and he wasn't uh, full-on liability, as some people have said. His, he's been interesting. Like his, uh, his metrics have actually been good so far. And, I mean, whether that holds up or not, that remains to be seen. But he's actually been a little bit better, I think, than a lot of Vancouver fans are uh, really kind of were kind of banking on there. So I thought Tyler Myers, he had a strong game. Uh, another guy who uh, he had a nice two on one as well with Levo. Uh, it was uh, Brandon Sutter. He had a he had a solid game that game as well. I mean, really, the whole team had solid games. It was it was a pretty solid effort all around. I thought from the guys. Yeah, I thought like you said, Myers is interesting because I know a lot of people didn't want us to sign him before he ever signed. Uh, they thought the contract was going to be so inflated, the term was going to be ridiculous, and it all turned to be a lot of nothing. Myers, to me, he's going to make risks. Or he's going to make bad decisions from time to time. He's going to make misplays. But guess what? Quinn Hughes does as well. And Quinn Hughes will, you know, when he play, does some of those high-risk moves that he does out there, and, you know, he's trying to get the puck up ice as quick as possible and maybe doesn't see, you know, a player from the opposite team cutting off an angle, intercepting the puck, and causing a, um, a two-on-one going the other way. But we don't seem to be as hard as on Quinn Hughes for doing those mistakes as people seem to be. Every time Tyler Myers makes a gaffe, there's five Twitter yeah. accounts. I won't name names, but there's five <laughs> Twitter accounts that have already gifted and you know saying, "Look at this! This is so stupid! How can you make that play?" I agree with you. I thought Myers has been really good for the Canucks so far. Sure, he's made a couple of gaffes here or there, but every player does it. Alex Edler does it. Chris Tanev does it. Well, if you want to if you want to get into the numbers, which you know I like to get into the numbers here, uh, if you look at Corsi or Fenwick stats, uh, Tyler Myers is our number two defenseman in both of those on the team, in, uh, in the percentage. And that's both times behind Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is actually second on the team in Fenwick, uh, behind only JT Miller. JT Miller leads in both categories, and Corsi and Fenwick for us. But he's, uh, that's another thing. Like Myers is actually just slightly ahead of Edler in both of them, but he is our second best right now in, in Corsi. So anyways, I wanted to give that a mention because I think Myers, he had that, which, which game was it where he had that just dreadful gaffe? Was that the Calgary game? I think it was the Calgary game. I think it was the Calgary game, yeah, and, where he coughed up the puck. And it was kind of reminiscent of when Erickson's first game when against Calgary, remember? Well, everyone remembers that. We won't, yeah. we won't talk about that anymore. But it was kind of like, oh, geez, is this, uh, is this what we got with Tyler Myers? Um, but I think he's turned around quite well, and he hasn't had very many moments where he's looked lost out there. Uh, I, I think he's actually been quite good the last few games. So I'm sure the, the Myers haters are turning off the podcast right about now. But I thought the Detroit game, I thought he was really solid. And I just wanted to mention that as well about uh, if you're into the, some of the advanced stats at all, that he's actually ranking quite well. Yeah, well, that should hopefully put uh, a lot of the misconception about Myers to rest. Oh, it won't because there'll be something he does one game coming up <laughs> and it'll reset everything and people will be like, ha ha, Pete, I told you. He's a liability. And he is at times a liability. We've seen it already, but I feel overall he's doing a lot more good than uh, than harm to this team. Uh, yeah. Should we move on to the Blues game? Yeah, Blues game was good. I'll move I'll move on to the Blues game. I'm a, I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Blues game. That was a, that was another really good effort. I thought. I thought. It, I mean, that was our fourth win in a row, and that was something we didn't do at all last year. Last time we won four in a row was at the end of the season before that, if I remember, when we finished the season really well and Tank Nation was losing their mind. I think we went 5-0-2 in our last seven games or something that year in uh, the Sedin era. And everyone's like, what are you guys doing? You're hurting your lottery picks. And this is, you know, you, you can't please the fan base sometimes. But anyways, four straight wins. 
again, Demko is really solid. And again, a trend up to this point. That was the fourth game in a row. Uh, well, all four games on a road where we allowed the first goal, uh, which is a trend I didn't like. But we bounced back after that flurry of goals in the second period, and uh, geez, it was a pretty even affair against a big team. I thought I thought we played really well. There's a nice pushback from the guys, uh, and there was a pretty epic shootout as well. Overall, that was a fun game to watch. Yeah, the one thing again, you know, we talked about it in the Detroit game, and we'll talk about it in this game as well with Demko is he definitely seems to have that strong, you know, mental toughness. Uh, he gave up those two goals to Petrangelo and Tarasenko in less than a minute apart. And yet, you know, he was steadfast for the rest of the game and didn't give up that, you know, back-breaking next goal. It was a great game. and To me, it was one of those games I haven't seen the Canucks win in the last two or three years. Yeah, it felt like that. And again, you know, we, we're going to probably talk about Demko and the goaltending a lot here. But uh, Demko facing this adversity in these games and coming through... I think this just does wonders for his confidence. And I'm really excited. You know, Marky's back now with the team. But I was really excited with uh, with what he did. You mentioned Horvat there as well. He was skating lights out that game. That was yeah. like that was a game for a leader. He was all over the ice, I thought, against St. Louis. He was forechecking hard. He was in behind the net. He started, uh, I believe he started to get some power play time in that game too. I can't remember when they started playing around with that, but I think it was that game. But I just he was all over the ice that game. And I thought uh, that was a game where you're a leader. It's like, all right, we're going into the champions building. We're going to win this game. And uh, that goal, that greasy goal after that crazy two-man advantage, that was, man, you saw the emotion there. That was that was cool to see. Yeah, and Horvat was snake-bitten as well. That was his first goal of the year. And you could tell, you know, and again, we're only up to this point, we were, what, six games into the season? Mm-hmm. But you could tell he was a little bit snake-bitten. You could tell he wanted to get the, you know, proverbial monkey off his back. And you could tell he was relieved to finally bang a goal home, as greasy as it was. Uh, I think he needed that, and it seemed to kind of give him a lift. And um, the team right now, yeah, I mean, they're playing very, very well. And what I like is they haven't been having to rely on the top line to get some of these wins. This scoring's been relatively balanced. I mean, JT Miller's been putting up a point almost every game. But other than that, like, the defense has been amazing. And the points they've been putting up compared to last year, I know you had sent out a a tweet kind of halfway through the week about uh, the scoring between this year and last year. Yeah, it was um, through six games that that tweet was last year. They had, I believe it was, they had eight assists last year from the blue line through six games. And this year they had six goals and nine assists. Yeah. So significantly more. I've updated that through eight games. Uh, So last year... They had one goal and 11 assists, the blue line did, and this year, six goals and 13 assists. And that's after how many games? That's after eight games. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's up to date. Uh, and and there, there was just, uh, and, and one special note on the blue line, something that really stood out, and we're not going to get sick of talking about this guy, Quinn Hughes in overtime. Oh, dude, dude. He'd jump in, jump in, in there. There's that moment in when he's realized he's got no one with him, and he just goes and skates and goes right around and gets that sh- shot right in on net there. I thought that was awesome. Like, uh... Quinn Hughes, man, we we got to be excited about this guy. He's he's amazing. Um, I I do think that they uh, in this game I did put a note that I thought the Blues kind of got in Jake Vertanen's head a little bit. I know he seemed kind of he was angry at the refs a couple of times. I know he took a uh, a big hit and he kind of got angry that there wasn't a penalty call. Uh, Vertanen seemed to be I I don't want to say he was off his game, but he seemed the Blues seemed to kind of get under his skin a bit and it seemed to kind of affect his play and his confidence. At least to me in this game. Um, the penalty kill again was great. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to praise the penalty kill. 
Uh, and when you're getting solid goaltending back there with Demko and you know the players in front of him, I believe this was another game. I'd have to double check, but I believe there was another five on three they killed in this game as well. There's there's been a few games lately mm-hmm. where they they've had a five on three penalty and they've killed it off. Well, they came out of this game with the best penalty killing in the league. Uh, we're third at the moment. <laughs> Still pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy with that. But uh, it was yeah they've they've been great uh, with the, with the PK. I think Tyler Mott was, he didn't play a lot of penalty killing time that game. But Tim Schaller and Jay Beagle sure logged a lot of uh, PK time as well. And uh, that that third that fourth line, sorry, I know that there's some people on uh, out there have been just hating on that line, but I actually think they've been pretty serviceable what they've done. Absolutely, I mean, since Mott has come into the lineup, it seems to have energized that fourth line, and they just seem to have. I don't know. They they seem almost to play. I know Mott is a fast skater already, but they all of them Beagle and. Schaller both seem just so much faster on the puck, and Schaller's been physical as well, which you never really saw that from him last year. And I think that's kind of a one of the things that you know we were missing from his game last year was the fact that he can be a physical player. And I should actually have a side. And this is the, this is probably the wrong game for me to talk about the fourth line because uh, they they had moments this game, but Jay Beagle was actually on the ice for all three St. Louis goals, and Tim Schaller was on the ice for two of them. So it wasn't necessarily that game their best game, but they have. I think overall being quite useful. I, I mean, I'm also shocked that Tim Schaller has played all eight games. And I know this is something that we talked about before, is he has played a full 82-game season with the Bruins. He has put up 20-plus points. He's had a double-digit goals. And I don't ever think we really knew what we were getting with Tim Schaller. I, I don't think he's a game-changer, but I think he's been a, a pretty good soldier in a, the bottom six role, certainly in the fourth-line role. And I think he's been... Uh, better than a lot of us thought at least i think we could say that he's been useful and i know again i've got some canucks threads out there some of my buddies are just like no like you you can't be hyping on tim Schaller." and i'm like look i'm not hyping on him but he's been useful i'd sure i'd rather see godette playing but i understand right now it's hard because i think brandon sutter has also exceeded his expectations for what we're getting out of him and it's it's godette i don't really know if he's going to fill in the same way that what you're getting with tim Schaller. Yeah, I think the other thing too, and I didn't really take this into account last year, but Schaller was coming off a very significant surgery, you know, heading into the offseason. And then, you know, the Canucks backed the Brinks truck up and dumped a bunch of money in his front yard. And obviously he put on the jersey and showed up to camp. So I don't think he was physically ready or prepared for last year. And he definitely didn't seem to, he seemed off. He didn't seem like he was the same kind of, you know, hard to play against, gritty fourth liner that we'd seen in Boston and I think a lot of it had to do with the lack of off-ice training he was able to get in for that summer because of it Green seems to trust him Green wants to put him out there I mean outside of uh, Jay Beagle he had the second most uh, penalty killing uh, minutes with three three minutes and 15 seconds on the PK uh, for forwards that is obviously the defenseman would have had a little bit longer uh, time out there and yeah he hasn't hurt the Canucks he was a minus two for that game uh, plus minus is kind of a stupid stat in today's NHL anyways uh, but yeah I'm with you like it's hard I want Godet in the lineup and I want him playing but who do you take out like Mott is definitely deserves to be in the lineup uh, Mott's yeah. been great I've, I've I liked uh, I've, I really like Tyler Mott the guy was a workhorse last year mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really like what he's brought in and this is nice things to have when Antoine Roussel comes back as well. And uh, there's a, a lot of things that make this team quite compelling with, uh, you know, Furland also scored his first goal this game. Yeah. yeah we talked about Bo scoring, but Furland did too. 
But geez, once Furlan gets it back, and uh, once Roussel is back, that's a that's a really interesting kind of team if if they keep playing this well. And Brandon Sutter again, he's another guy who's impressed me. He's got five points through eight games right now. He's being a lot better. And I always talk about him being the Cy Young player. He's got two goals, three assists. He's doing it the other way. And I mentioned how he had that nice play with Levo before as well. He's he seems to be seeing the ice a lot better, and he does seem to be. Really well liked by the team. You've seen the the video he did on the airplane? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. That was great. And it, it, you could kind of see it then. It's like starting to make a lot more sense. It's like, you know, I and I've not been, I was, as you know, I said I didn't want Sutter on the team to start the year. Uh, he's winning me over with the way he's playing. And you can really see now a lot more what the team sees in him and what Coach Green sees in him as well. Well, and I've, I've heard interviews from players in the past say that the funniest guy on the team is Sutter. He's the funniest guy on the team. And yeah. He makes everyone laugh, and he kind of keeps everybody in check. And, uh, yeah, you're starting to see that. And Obviously, as fans, we care about how you produce on the ice, not who you are off the ice as far as, like, in the dressing room. Oh, this is a character. We hear that cliche all the time. He's a character guy for the dressing room, yada, yada, yada. Um, but if Sutter can produce on the ice and still be that guy that a lot of the younger players seem to look up to and kind of, you know, he's, he's not Mr. Serious. He, he can joke and he, he can be funny. You know, I think that that's good for the locker room. That's healthy for, for your team to, you know, have guys that can kind of, you know, lessen the tension, you know, mood in the dressing room from time to time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's early. It's only, like I said, 10% of the season, though. A good sample size out of Sutter. I think uh, Ferlin, like I said, got that goal. It's going to be nice to see him kind of get it going a bit more. Um, one other thing, just a bit of a negative from that game, uh, and we've seen this a bit lately. Uh, the power play, I thought, was really sloppy that game. And we got that goal, uh, the Horvat goal, banging in at the end. But I, I, and again, we could come back to the Adler and the Hughes and, and whatnot. We're starting to see Hughes more and more, and they've changed a bit of the look. But really sloppy power play that game. I just couldn't quite get it going. Yeah, and here's the thing: is like I understand why people want Hughes on the top unit power play. I mean, he's so dynamic. But if you look at the previous game, the Red Wings game, you know, we scored three power play goals from the top power play unit in that game. So the power play was clicking that game, and for whatever reason, this game it just wasn't. Uh, I thought this game and the next game we're going to talk about, for whatever reason, they just could the top players, Besser and um, Petey, they couldn't hit the net. You know, they're getting all these one-timer opportunities on either of their off wings, and they're just not hitting the net. And that was what was really frustrating for me. And there was other guys, too, that were coming in. I mean, I love Quinn Hughes. He's been amazing. But he's got a little bit of Yuri Slager in him where he's got this amazing shot, but more often than net, it's about five feet off the ice and wide. Speaking of Yuri Slager, I still remember this draft very well because of the score hockey card set. The Canucks drafted two players ahead of Slager that year. So Slager, I think, was 23rd overall. He's the second player to go in the second round. And they drafted two players ahead of him. Do you remember who they were? Peter Nedved? Yeah, that was Nedved, second overall. Um, And was it... And Toski. Yeah, it was Sean Antoski. Yeah, nice. Nicely done. But that's the draft I always look at. I'm like, fuck, if we played it right, we could have drafted Yager and Berdur. Yeah. But and Scott was... Stevens, I think, was in that draft as well. No, Stevens was quite a bit earlier. Was he earlier? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Stevens is uh, that's quite a bit before that. No, but there was uh, there was uh, Darian Hatcher was in that draft. Uh, there was I think Keith, Keith no. Kachuk. No, Niedermeyer wasn't. Uh, Kachuk was in there. Uh, there was Keith Primo was in that draft. Mm. Uh, Mayday. It was it was a good draft year that one, but uh, yeah, that was that was uh, 
fun Yuri Slager thing right there. Well, speaking of sloppiness, I guess we kind of have to talk about the next game then. Uh, do we have to? We don't have to spend long on it. I don't think people listening want to hear us talk about it, but we kind of have to. We got to take uh, this is the only loss in the last six games we had, and it was a snooze fest. And I even tweeted the day before, I'm like, this is the kind of game that traditionally the Canucks get trapped in. Afternoon, early start as well in the East Coast against a team that needs wins and theoretically you should be able to beat. And of course, we just come out and lay an absolute egg. Yeah, this game was hard to watch. I I, I found like the Canucks weren't able to do anything. I found like offensively they couldn't hit the net. Over seven on the power play. I didn't find any of their chances dangerous at all. I don't. There's not one highlight from this game on the offensive side of things. I remember the Canucks being anywhere close to scoring. I like Josh Levo's game, but he literally put up zeros across the boards this game. No shots, no hits, no blocks, no giveaways, no takeaways. Literally zeros across the board. Redeemed himself next game, but we'll worry about that. You, yes. you know I always stick up for Levo. One thing that Jersey did, and this is something, and the Canucks went 0 for 7 after going 0 for 5 against St. Louis. Uh, Jersey was super aggressive on the penalty kill. They were rushing everyone. And the Canucks, they, maybe they scouted and they said, hey, this Canucks power play isn't firing, so rush the shooters. And there was no passive box playing there. They were rushing everyone. And the Canucks just didn't know what to do with it. They they were, they, again, it's early in their power play. still trying to find it. But that's when they really started playing around. We saw a lot more of, of Hughes on the power play that game. But they just, Jersey was aggressive on the PK. And then on the flip side with, the, our, with our PK, the Canucks were letting guys stand right in front of Demko. And Demko was great this game, and he only allowed the one goal. But there was I was watching it a couple times, and they were just letting the body stand in front of Demko uh, when Jersey was on the power play. And that was that was driving me a bit crazy too. But uh, it's special teams were, were definitely our undoing. Uh, there's something about that building too. That's back-to-back times we've been shut out. And we got a ridiculous goalless streak there. I know Shorty was mentioning it a few times there, but last two games going in there like it's just uh i don't know what it is man one of those cursed buildings do you believe in cursed buildings uh i do actually yeah i mean obviously luongo in boston was one that you kind of think back to and for whatever reason even luongo in minnesota he had some issues in minnesota as well yeah um the other thing interesting from that game i find is uh you look at so detroit interesting detroit or interesting or good well <laughs> interesting as in what not necessarily good for the canucks all right um so the detroit game uh, both teams had 15 block shots. St. Louis, both teams had 11 block shots. The Jersey game, the Canucks had 12 block shots. The Devils blocked 23 yeah. shots. They were getting in front of everything. And like you said, they were being so aggressive on the penalty kill. They were going right up to the shooter, not giving them any lanes yeah. to pass the puck. And any of the shots they were being able to take, the defender's so big because he's so close to you. He, you know, it's hitting a piece of his equipment or it's hitting his stick and going wide. And it was noticeable, too. We actually outshot the Devils that game, just barely, but we did. And we out-face out off them. We out-controlled some elements of play when you look at it. But it just didn't feel like anything was happening. And that, again, I give Jersey a lot of credit for that. Maybe the Jersey just had one of those games. Uh, maybe Jack playing against his brother. The team was fired up. I don't know, but... It was just, it was frustrating. You even saw it with uh, Sutter. He dropped the gloves, uh, which was, again, yeah. good to see. Uh, the, the Canucks were frustrated out there. Wasn't a lot to like. Uh, except I'll say Demko. He played well again. Uh, I'll, I'll give Demko that. And again, I did like seeing Sutter drop the gloves. 
But it was just, man, that was one of those ones, you know, you, you get up, it's Saturday morning, it's rainy, you're like, oh, sweet, the Canucks are on 10 a.m. What is this world we're living in? And they just go out there and lay that, and you're like, ah, oh, shit, it's 12.30 now, and I guess i got to get on with my day after watching that snooze fest. Yeah, um, I, congratulations to Jack Hughes, by the way, for getting his first uh, career goal against the Canucks. Um, luckily, we only have to play this guy twice a year because yeah. there's been so many of these Canuck killers over the years. I always think back to a guy like... Uh, Alex Tangay, for whatever reason. That Milan Hayduke. Milan Hayduke, another former Colorado Avalanche. For whatever reason, these guys would just always put up numbers against the Canucks. Um, yeah, you could tell, like you said, with Sutter dropping the gloves, it got a little bit chippy near the end there. And I think a lot of it was just how frustrated the Canucks were. The Devils played a great, solid game, and they were getting in front of all the shooting lanes, and the Canucks didn't really have much. And when your power play goes 0 for 7... You know, obviously, and look, sometimes those aren't full power plays. A power play can be cut short because you take a penalty and now you've only had a 30-second power play, but it still counts as a full power play. But when your power play goes 0 for 7, uh, yeah, you know you've uh, there's going to be some frustration going on. And I give full credit to Green. They made the changes, the necessary changes, the next uh, game against the Rangers, and they swapped some things around, and the power play looked much better. Roger Nielsen, for years, was a big proponent of changing the way that the power play stat was figured out because of that, is making it a goals for time on the power play and creating a metric to make that work. And I, I fully agree with that because the difference between a three-second power, you know, you win the face-off, you take a slash, boom, that's a three-second power play. It goes in the books. It's three seconds of power play time. Yeah. Or you see these overlying ones where a guy comes out of the box, you got like 20 seconds, and that counts as a power play. I really think the way the league figures out the power play and the penalty killing. I think it's a skewed stat. If someone has a lot more time on their hands, I bet they could go through and re-rank the league power plays based on actual goals for time on the power play, doing as well for man advantage and two-man advantage. I think that would be really interesting. Maybe it's out there and I just got to dig it out a bit more, but yeah, the the way that you can kind of get those skewed power plays. And that game had a lot of overlapping penalties in there as well. It got pretty chippy as the the game went on, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we've found some things to talk about with that game, eh? So, uh, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, if you're listening, um, my co-host Pete Edwards here just had an amazing idea on how we should be tracking power play time. It was Roger Nielsen's. I'll just take it. I'll just take it from him. But I, I don't know. I don't think Bettman and Daly are listening. They probably should, though. <laughs> uh, should we go on to the Rangers game? Yeah, Rangers was an interesting one. Um, we kind of saw the best and the worst of the team. I thought with the Rangers. Um, starting in goal again, Marky back. Didn't look like he missed a beat. And uh, I thought he was, I thought Marky was great. Uh, it was nice to see him coming back. Um, good hot start. And then uh, held on for dear life, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I think I mentioned this against the, when we were talking about the Blues game, but this was another game that I don't remember the Canucks would have won the last two or three years. They would have definitely given up that tying goal and then probably would have lost it in overtime or a shootout. And as bad as we looked in the third period, I mean, there was an, I think it was an, a stretch of eight solid minutes where there was no whistle and the ra- Rangers had us hemmed in our own end. Yeah, it was, it was ugly, man. It was, uh, but again, you're, you're right though. In the past years, those would have been games that we lost. That game combined for 83 shots. I don't know how much you guys pay attention out there to shots in a game, but for both teams to hit 40 plus shots, that is pretty rare. 
I, and again, you, you go back to your blocks that you're looking at as well. The blocks were, were pretty close in that game, 14-13. But again, that 83 shots in one game, uh, That's uh, that was a good game for the Swedish goalies. Absolutely. And, well, uh, Markstrom coming back after his personal issues for whatever it was, he looked very solid. Uh, he was, again, I mean, so far, I know it's early in the year, the goaltending has been, to me, the, the best and most... Uh, fundamental part of the Canucks season so far and if they we can get goaltending from both Markstrom and Demko like this for the entire year uh, I definitely think we'll be right on the cusp of a power play or power play pardon me (laughs) it's been so long I can't even say it properly a playoff team (laughs) I think uh, well going into the year I thought that uh, goaltending was one of the few points where I felt really confident with the Canucks I thought the Canucks goaltending was going to be good. I wasn't too worried about that. I thought the blue line was much improved, but had some question marks. And the forwards, I, I'm still not convinced about what the bottom six can bring to offense. But I thought that, uh, yeah, I thought Markstrom was great. And now that you've got that stretch, Demko plays three in a row, plays well in those three in a row. Uh, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now moving forward with uh, how they balance out uh, the way that these guys are playing. I mean, you look at uh, Demko's stats. I mean, three games he's played, he has 164 goals against and a 943 save percentage. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I can't speak for any of the games. I know after this game ended yesterday, the Canucks had, I think it was the third or fourth combined average for um, goalie percentage save, save percentage. Uh, combined with Markstrom and Demko, they had the uh, third or fourth highest in the league. It uh, might have changed after some of the it's games. Tied for third right now. Tied for third, okay. Yeah. Um, which is great. Also, shout out to Jay Beagle. What a beautiful shorthanded goal he scored. Yeah, that was nice. Turned out to be the game winner as well. Yeah, but yeah, there was a lot of things uh, early in the game to like. That was that was great to see. But yeah, just uh, and again quietly as well. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, Pedersen gets two primary helpers this game, and he kind of does it quietly. And that's what, when you when you see good players on other teams, they can still make a difference, even in a game where they may not have had the strongest finish to the game. You know, two more helpers for Pedersen. I mean, it was a, he had he had a very solid game, for at least for the first half. I don't think anyone really in the, the last half of the game was extremely solid. I thought Besser couldn't uh, hit a soccer net that game. Uh, he, he I mean, I guess he did have the one goal, but after that... He just, man, he was just firing pucks everywhere, it felt like. But that one goal he scored, that was awesome. He just put it, like, right through Lundqvist. Yeah, right through his glove. Was- um, yeah, I think uh, Pedersen's tied with Miller now for the team lead in points. I believe they both have eight. And the other thing to kind of talk about this game, and we're, we'll see what happens. And I know earlier we were discussing who do you pull out of the lineup. Furland ended the game with only 7 minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, I noticed that too. He uh, really didn't play a lot down the stretch. I don't know if he just wasn't feeling it or if, if he was getting benched, but he only took 11 shifts in the whole game. That was by far, in a way, the worst on the team. That was four less than Josh Leva. Uh, I don't know if there's some bug in him. I don't know if Green just wasn't feeling it with him that game. But yeah, he he because I thought he played all right against St. Louis. Um but, yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe uh, maybe Ferlin needs a bit of rest. I mean, Ferlin's not the kind of guy that you can really put up in the press box. He's And something that did come out of Carolina when he was there is you hear a lot of things say that if he wasn't playing with your top line, he wasn't necessarily that effective. And maybe that's the case. I really do think, though, when you have a guy lose 9 or 10 pounds, he's a professional athlete, it's hard for him to come back and be at that peak performance right away. 
especially yeah. in this this day and age of the NHL. I mean, he did lead the team in hits that game with four, uh, which isn't a huge amount, but you know, he still led the team. So he was for the limited amount of ice time he was out there. He was trying to be physical. He was trying to make things happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Green. He's already falling out of favor with Green, or Green's maybe hopefully trying to send a message to him that he wants and needs more out of him. Berlin was also one of only two uh, forwards who didn't play any special teams time. And I know it's not a lot of special teams. There's only three power plays each way, but him and Vertanen were the only two who didn't uh, do anything there. So there's a small element of that which decreases ice time, but it did feel like as the game wore on, we saw a lot more of the fourth line. And maybe that was, again, just the way the Canucks were playing it. They were hanging on there, and the Panarin line was coming on, and I think they're they're matching them up a bit more. And Maybe that was just the way the shifts fell. But it is noticeable how little Furland actually did play in the Rangers game. It really jumps out when you look at the, the stat sheets and the, the time on ice there. Well, yeah, especially when you look at Vertanen pretty much played 14 minutes and Sutter was at 15.05. Sutter obviously had some penalty killing time and was on the ice for 24 seconds or so of uh, power play. It's probably just a switch over. Um, but, yeah, for a guy like you just brought up, Vertanen and Furland were the only two guys with no special teams uh, play on ice, and yet Vertanen literally had double the amount of ice time as Furland. Yeah, it's uh, it's something we're, we're all going to have to pay attention to, uh, the game against Detroit tomorrow. I think there's a few things uh, tomorrow that we're going to have to really watch. I think Furland is one of them. I think what happens with Gaudet, even if he doesn't play, uh, I think you have to make the decision with Gaudet coming up here. That's going to be something that's really intriguing to see. Does Gaudet get another look? Um, and, and also this fourth line, does this fourth line still stay together? For me, Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle right now, they're they're kind of locked in there, and I'm, I know there's some people who probably disagree with me there. Tim Schaller is holding on to that spot on the wing. Does he get out for a game? I mean, at the end of it, the Canucks have won five of six. Despite that game against Jersey, we have quietly put together a five wins in the last six games. And... You don't want to do too much tinkering. Things are working. I mean, yeah, okay, a lot of them are one goal. The last two wins were one goal games, and your loss was a one goal game. But you're in these close games. So do you really want to tinker with it too much? I don't know. Yeah, I think now that, because they are doing an Eastern road trip, I think it would make the most sense to, you have Gaudet with you on the road trip, and then you just send him to Utica. Utica's right there. It's very easy for him to go there. I don't know if they call anybody up, or they just send him down. Uh, I don't know what the status of, Fantenberg is. Fantenberg is, uh, I believe they put him on IR. Um, so I don't know if Fantenberg is going to be coming off IR soon or not. Or you just have a 22-man roster. Is Ashton Sautner, is he still up with the team? I thought they sent him back down, but maybe he is still with the team. I, I thought they sent him back down, though. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't... Again, I agree with you. The Jersey game, I, I don't think the bottom six were the reasons why we lost that game. The top six, for whatever reason... They couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Nobody could get a shot on net. Obviously, the Devils were getting in front of all the pucks. They were blocking everybody. Uh, shots from actually getting to the net. And, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't touch the bottom six. Right now, the penalty kill is great, and your main two penalty killers have been Beagle and Schaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would leave it and as Mott. is. And Mott, you're right. Um, but even before Mott got back into the lineup, uh, it was Beagle, Schaller, Sutter, Levo. Or, no, Pearson, pardon me, not Levo. Uh, Sautner is still up with the club, and Fantenberg is on IR, just, okay. to, just to clarify that. So if you were to move a guy like Godet, is there, you're right, is there a point? The only reason you would be calling someone up is if you're so sure that the guy you're calling up is going to jump ahead of Louis Erickson to play on the team. 
that's the only reason why. You either you can give yourself some cap relief by having a guy down and, and not having the full amount of guys on the roster, or you bring up another defenseman, but that would mean you then more than likely send Sautner back down too. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, right now it just doesn't feel like uh, there's a lot of ways that Goddard or Erickson are going to wiggle back into the lineup. Do you bring up Sven Berici? Well, here's the one thing I did like that Green did the last game. And we only saw a glimpse of it. I think he only started halfway through the game. Is he actually put for ten and on the second line? Yeah, I noticed that too. With Bowen Pearson. I actually that was my first note on the game, and I haven't even touched on it. Was that for ten and moves up in the lineup? And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and I would like to see a little bit more of that. I don't know if he'll start for ten and on the second line. Again, I've been. I feel like literally a broken record. I've been very hard on Vertanen. I'm disappointed in Vertanen as a player. I don't think he takes his career seriously. I was annoyed about how he came into training camp out of shape. But I'm going to throw the guy a bone. He hasn't been given top six minutes on this team, really. He hasn't been given a chance to be on any of the power play. And whether or not you think he's actually an offensive player or not, you got to give this guy a chance. If you're giving guys like Levo, who, again, has been good, when he's been given those minutes. Guys like Furland, who does have a bit more of a track record than Vertanen, top six minutes. Why isn't Vertanen getting top six minutes? And I'm not even going to get into the Linden Vey era when guys like him and Chapu were playing ahead of Vertanen. Um, so for me, I like that. I'd like to see Green start the next game with Vertanen on the second line and see how that develops and see if him, Pearson, and Bo can have a little bit of chemistry together. Yeah, I think uh, the whole approach with Vertanen has been like you've got to earn everything this year, and I think that's good. Maybe that maybe that's jogged him. I thought uh, I thought it was his best game uh, against the Rangers. I thought he played; he was quite noticeable, and that was also with more ice time uh, to go with it. And also, just quick flashback to Josh Levo. How sick was that shootout goal against St. Louis? Yeah, that it was, was great. That was awesome. But yeah, I, I'd like to see where Vertanen starts. I'd like to see where he fits in here. Um, I think tomorrow's game against Detroit is going to be a really interesting one to kind of see what the next steps are for this roster. By by then, you know, you've got to get nine games under your belt. Where are guys going to go if, if God is not going to play? He goes down. Maybe something comes clear with Erickson. Maybe we see a guy like Berchi or Goldobin called up. I don't think we'll see Goldobin called up, though. No, I don't think Goldobin is going to be back with the Canucks. I think, honestly, it's probably good that he's tearing it up in the AHL because maybe that brings up his trade value a bit. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's definitely a possibility. Who knows? Maybe he just does play well enough to earn his way back. But uh, I think a lot of things are going to become well, maybe more clear. I don't know. There's uh, there's still question marks. But overall, this last week, 3-1, uh, and one, that's a positive week. I'll take that any day. Uh, yeah. So is there anything else you want to touch on with these games? No, I think uh, overall uh, there's some definite surprises, and uh, I've been enjoying it. I'm excited. Early start tomorrow. Uh, well, early I should just finish work and go home and watch the Detroit game again. And uh, be curious to see how they play that one because uh, they didn't end strong against the Rangers. They didn't have the greatest game against the Devils. Last game of the road trip, you want to stamp this one in. And a team that you already handled, that Detroit's going to be playing a lot more fired up at home. They wouldn't have liked what happened uh, against the Canucks. And then we also, coming later in the week, we have the champs from two years ago, the Capitals, coming into town. So I think it's a really big week with the Canucks. I think uh, these next two games are going to continue to tell what we've seen. I've, I've been impressed with what we've seen after that Alberta road trip, uh, I, and I'm, I'm really curious to see how they handle these next two. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm really looking forward to the Washington game. Not that I'm trying to look ahead past Detroit, but I, I think that'll be a really good test for the Canucks. Uh, Washington's playing amazing at the moment. Uh, your boy John Carlson's been unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, the guy I had him ranked uh, as one of the top three defensemen for fantasy this year. I, I grabbed him in my hockey pool, and he's uh, definitely uh, outperforming what even I thought he would, so I hope he continues that, but not, not on Friday. <laughs> All right, well, uh, yeah, that pr- pretty much does it for this segment. Let's uh, let's go to the free pour. Time for a nice little scotch on this rainy day. Man, yesterday with the rain doing this, it was it was so nice just to hang out and watch sports all day. That was that was great. Yeah, I had a couple of, couple of drams of scotch while watching the football yesterday and the Canucks actually. Uh, what are we drinking today, Pete? Well, there we go. Um, Flashback to our first episode. It's our 10th milestone. We're going back to the Lagavelin 16. Nice. So, there uh, you go. We dram for yourself. Definitely a crowd pleaser and one of my favorites as well. Yeah, something a little smoky on a day like today. And, uh, yeah, today, I guess I'll go first here. Uh, today's also election day. And uh, I've traveled a lot. I've traveled to a lot of different places that have elections and don't have elections. And uh, I just wanted to kind of give my thoughts about it. I think it's something that we kind of take for granted. I think it's really important to, to vote. I think it's uh, something that m- most people really just don't realize how lucky we are to be able to do it. And so I just hope a lot of you out there voted. Uh, I, even if you don't want to vote, I think it's good just to go and, and, and put your name down and, and be a part of it. Uh, it's something, you know, I, I, years ago I was in Indonesia for one of their first kind of free elections in 30 years and people were getting their fingers stamped when they voted and they were so proud and they were going around showing their thumbs they had over 99% voter turnout in that election uh, I thought that was amazing so anyways I hope uh, everyone voted whoever you voted for um, and yeah that's what I got Doug what do you um, got? yeah I mean for me it's definitely not as serious as uh, you know people going out and uh, letting their voices be heard uh, on election day but one thing that there have been people clamoring for a vote or a petition about, and it's literally driving me nuts, is the goal song for the Canucks. I am sorry, people. I hate to break it to you, but Green Day has not been a relevant band for nearly two decades now. Holiday is a trash song. It always was, and it always will be, and it shouldn't be the goal song, and I'm glad we've changed it to Ain't Talking About Love by Van Halen, but... Let's say you don't like that song. I get it. Van Halen, not your cup of tea. I have a suggestion. So I'm not someone who's just here to burn down people's hopes and dreams and their nostalgia towards this band they grew up loving. I'm here to give you a suggestion to broaden your horizon when it comes to music. I suggest a band from Vancouver named the Japan Droids and their song Fires Highway from their album Celebration Rock. Check it out. I say the 104 minute mark of the song, Fires Highway. Amazing song, amazing local band. They actually were the come out song at one point as well, one of their songs a few years ago. New team, new songs. I agree, man. Uh, no more U2, no more Green Day. Thank you. And yes, get out and vote. <laughs> well, that wraps up episode 10 of. Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. As always, thanks again for listening. We appreciate all you guys out there taking the time. Uh, You can find us 
at Canucks Speakeasy Podcast on Stitcher, Apple Music. Anywhere else. <laughs> uh, Spotify. Spotify, that's the one I was trying to say. Um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter as well. It's at Canucks Speak. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And I'm at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. Um, yeah, shoot us a message. Say hi. Uh, we'll, we occasionally post stuff. We're not the most active on there, uh, but we take in everything. And uh, we're more of the strong silent types, except for here. And we criticize Green Day and do other good things. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if anyone's going to the Washington game, shoot me a message. I'll be there. Unfortunately, with a Caps fan, but he's an all right guy, I guess. And uh, until next week. Take care. Go Canucks. Go Canucks.